Hey, uh, Chuck, have you ever been hurt by uh, someone's words before? It's kind of ironic that you asked me that. What's up? Because you make fun of my bald spot a lot. And frankly, it hurts my feelings. I mean, I would never poke fun at you or do something like that. And I kind of deserve the same respect. Seriously. You never poke fun at me. Seriously. I mean, you've thrown me under the bus, and these people are witnesses to this so many times I can't even count. Uh, Let's just think about a few. Um, One time, uh, you put a picture up on the screen of me in my swim trunks, made fun of my chest, (laughs) hurt my wife too, I'll tell you. And uh, then another time, you said that my body looked like a twig of grass. (laughs) And another time, you said that I was the top fan of the Backstreet Boys. You told me I was so bald that you could read my mind. Well, that's not mean. That's true. You told me I was so bald that I couldn't suffer a hairline fracture. (laughs) I said, that's hilarious. (laughs) Well, if I said any of those things, I'm not sure if I did, but if I did, it was simply to try to give a better impact and to connect with people more. Because, I mean, there's a big difference between your teachings and my teachings. Yours are about 20 minutes longer. No, no. What I'm talking about is truthfulness. Truthfulness. You told a story one time about uh, the fact that I had a flat tire. And I called you to come and help me. And we got out together and we changed the tire together. But now that that uh, story has been morphed into the fact that when I got there... I immediately went to your truck. It was negative 20 degrees, 40 mile hour winds coming through, and I was in the heater, with the heater. Drinking Starbucks, listening to Backstreet Boys. That's, that's how I remember that story. Real funny, baldy boy, aren't you? Well, you're wrong. You're just dead wrong. Well... We had a little fun this morning, uh, ripped on each other a little bit, uh, just to prove a point, and the point is that words matter. Your words matter. Our words matter. If you're visiting with us for the first time, we don't do this all the time, uh, but we want to make the point of how important words are. You saw in the video earlier about words, and Isn't that really cool, the domino effect that words can have, both for good, but also for bad? Jesus, one day, was talking about the importance of words, and we'll hit this a little bit later, but he talked about a tree, and he talked about the fact that with a tree that Trees produce both good fruit and bad fruit. And in the same way, your words, folks, 
produce both good and bad. The words that you have have the ability to build people up and encourage them and inspire them. And at the same point, your words have the ability to put people down, to make less of them, to destroy them, to damage them. James, one of uh, Jesus' brothers, was talking about the concept of how there are, there are some things in life that are very, very small, but the influence that they have far outweighs their smallness. The first thing he talked about was a small little two-inch bit that's placed in the mouth of a horse. And yet this same bit, when it's placed in the mouth of a horse, can influence a 1,500-pound stallion. And James said, man, this is so fascinating. That something so small, folks, can have such a huge and big impact. Next, he talks about a ship. In the first century, when ships, when ships would sail, they were very, very large. And they took a long time to build, years and years. A ship usually weighed about 400 tons, and it was about the size of half of a football field, so about 50 yards. And yet their course was determined by a single relatively small rudder compared to the rest of the ship. It would be about the size of your front door. But it would control this huge, massive sea vessel. And James thinks to himself that this is very fascinating. Finally, his mind ponders to the influence of a small little spark. I bet for many of you, on the 4th of July, you probably had some fireworks. Maybe you had some little sparklers. And isn't it amazing with the sparkler, you, you light it. And at first, you know, it's just kind of that blue glow. But once it hits, then all of a sudden, it really lights up. Everything around you. And just with one of those little dots of flame, that blue flame, it can ignite and it can destroy hundreds of thousands of acres of forest land. In 1871, 3.8 million acres of forest burned in Wisconsin. Think about that. 3.8 million acres. And how did it happen? By one little spark. Well, James' mind keeps spinning, and he's like, I just can't imagine how something so small can have such a huge impact. And immediately then, he goes and he says, but out of all those things, a horse bit. A ship, a little spark, none of them compare to the power of the human tongue. The human tongue weighs less than three ounces. It's no more than four inches long, unless you're Gene Simmons, and then uh, a little bit longer. Those of you that are KISS fans, some of you that are in your 20s are right now going, who is Gene Simmons? So go ahead and Google it because you'll ignore me here in a little bit anyway. And you'll see a guy with a very long tongue, okay? 
But most of our tongues are small. They don't weigh very much. But the size of the tongue has a huge impact of what it can produce proportionally. Its impact to ratio is unparalleled. Think about people throughout history have used their tongues to create all kinds of damage. One is Adolf Hitler. With his mouth, he used it to incite both a holocaust and a world war that claimed millions of lives. But the tongue also can be used for good. Think about Nelson Mandela, Martin Luther King Jr., who through their words and their passion, apartheid was ended and civil rights began to move and change our country in amazing ways. And James is like, stand back, stand back, because nothing in all of nature compares to the human tongue. Hey, Chuck, you're pretty smart. Uh, Just wondered how many words does a human being use in an average day? Men or women? World War III is about ready to come right now. Average person. Turn to the person beside you. Tell you. Tell them. How many words? Average person in a day. Go ahead. Some of you introverts don't even want to talk now. Some of you extroverts have been talking the whole time. Go ahead. 10,000. 10,000 words. So in your waking hours alone, if you get eight hours of sleep, in your waking hours alone, you speak 625 words. Now look at the person beside you. Do, they think, do you think they speak more than that? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Because we have talkers and we have non-talkers, right? But on average, that's what happens. Well, again, the words gives us an opportunity to build someone up or to tear them down. And words are powerful. They can be as calming as a waterfall. Haven't you ever experienced that before? Maybe you're going through some grief. We have a grief group that meets on Mondays. If you're struggling with grief, you've lost someone, you should go to that. You ever been there and you've lost someone and someone says a word to you? And it can be the most calming thing in the world. And yet there are also words that we use sometimes that destroy people. And it's like a forest fire that hits us. That's why it's important, folks, that you choose your words carefully. We need to be able to learn to be wise with our words. So for the rest of our time, what we're going to do is we're going to look at some Proverbs. And thank you all for being here. Hope you'll continue to be here every week uh, for this series on Proverbs. And we're going to look at what Solomon, the guy who wrote this book, what he wrote about what we need to do with our words so that we have greater impact positively toward the people around us. To be wiser in our words, the first thing that Solomon says, we need to let our words be few. That's your first fill-in. We need to let our words be few. 
So our first instruction is to talk less. It says in Proverbs 10 verse 19, Too much talk leads to sin. Be sensible and keep your mouth shut. Proverbs 21 verse 23, Watch your tongue. Keep your mouth shut and you will stay out of trouble. Hey, I've been teaching these Proverbs to my kids for years. <laughs> Here's one of my favorites. This is Proverbs 17, verse 28. It says, Even a foolish person seems wise when he keeps his mouth shut. Okay, Mikey, leave that up on the screen. I want to actually give an example of this. Now, I can imagine, and I'm being serious here, when Chris is in a social setting with his wife and her co-workers. you got to remember, she's a doctor, which, good job, by the way. Oh, yeah, thank you. <laughs> I'm married up. Married. But you got to picture this with me. They're all having cocktails, all these doctors, and they're talking. And Chris, no offense, not understanding anything that they're talking about, he just stands there in the circle, That is what that Proverbs right there. You know, Solomon didn't write these Proverbs to be funny. He didn't write them to be sarcastic. They are in the Bible because God wants to protect us from harm. Because we too often speak before we think things through. Chris spoke last week about being at a crossroads. And that we too often act without thinking, and then we make unwise choices. And these choices have consequences. They, they may hurt you, they may hurt someone else. So like our actions, we, we too often speak without thinking things through. And as you are going to see today, our words do have consequences. You see, the words that we use reflect back on our relationship with God. The 30th President of the United States, Calvin Coolidge. Now, Coolidge was president for a large portion of the 1920s, taking office when Warren Harding died. And one of the characteristics about Coolidge was the fact that he was a man of very few words. In fact, his nickname was Silent Cow. And when asked, Coolidge said that he was slow to speak because he recognized the gravity of what a president says. And thus he felt his words needed to be carefully weighed and thought through. I mean, this is the exact same sentiment that we're talking about with Proverbs. That wisdom is found in those of few words, more so than in those of many words. President Coolidge knew he was representing the United States of America. His words were influential. He needed to pick these words carefully because he represented the people of America. Chris, as our pastor, is the man that's ordained by God to represent our church, knows that the words that he speaks is a reflection of this church. I mean, he can't go around just spewing out words like a loose cannon. 
because it would start to make people question where his heart is. And as a Christ follower, the things that we say, they represent what Christ is doing in our lives. So you see, our words, whether these words are spoken, written, posted, right or wrong, right or wrong, they form people's opinion about us. Just last week, Paul George, our Indiana Pacer, he tweeted some comments about, the Ray, about Ray Rice, the football player that got in trouble for domestic violence. And his words caused a stir of controversy. And he retracted those statements, but the damage had already been done. And whether or not what he was saying, right or wrong, was taken out of context, he was viewed in a very, very negative light. Why? Because words are powerful. Listen, if you don't want someone to say something to someone else about something you said about someone else, you don't say it. It's that easy. You don't say it. If you don't say something, that something can never be gossiped about, right? I mean, we are all a work in progress. None of us are perfect. And the thing is, we are going to say things at times that we shouldn't say. We're going to. We're going to hurt people's feelings. That's going to happen. But if we think before we speak, these times can be minimal. Man, we can save ourselves a lot of problems, a lot of trouble. If we just think first, we can form things, we can form these words we're going to speak, we can do it in a positive way. You know, we're not, we're not to remain silent. We are called to speak up for what we believe in, but as representatives of Jesus Christ, we are supposed to do it in a positive way. This is a way that doesn't judge a way that doesn't criticize, a way that doesn't point fingers at people, a way that doesn't place blame, a way that doesn't stir up controversy, a way that's not going to paint you in a negative light. You always hear actions speak louder than words. And it's true that people's going to see by the way you act what you believe but people will also hear by the way you speak what you believe as well. You see, everything you do and say shows the world who you really are. Proverbs 15, verse 28, wise people think carefully before speaking. We are representing Christ. So Solomon says, if you want to be wiser with your words, you need to let your words be few. The second thing that Solomon says is that we need to let our words be true. Let our words be true. Proverbs 12.22 says this, God detests lying lips. He delights in those who tell the truth. 
Proverbs 25:18 says, "Telling lies about others is harmful as hitting them with an axe, wounding them with a sword, or shooting them with a sharp arrow." Solomon basically has nothing good to say about people who lie. Nothing. There are dozens of proverbs that extol the value of truth-telling and describe the devastating consequences that lying can have. In fact, the psalmist picks up on this in uh, Psalm 15. Let's read this out loud together in one voice. Speak the truth in your heart. My wife, Jennifer, uh, is a brilliant woman, but she hates to deal with finances. She never has enjoyed it whatsoever. She would have been a really good doctor like back in the days when uh, if you had an ailment, they paid with like three chickens and a cow, you know, like we would have been in good shape there. But uh, otherwise, finances, she just is not that big into it. And she really hates to get on a phone and have to call people about paying bills or transferring funds or doing any kind of financial kind of planning. So a while back, uh, we had a bill that uh, we needed to transfer some funds to 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 pay it off. And uh, the only problem was, was that I was pretty sure that the account was in her name. And so I had asked her to, to just call and do it because it was in her name. And she said, well, honey, you know how I hate to talk on the phone with those financial people. And you are so good at it. So would you please be willing to do it? And, you know, my chest got bumped out. And she knows how to, like, reel me in, you know. So that day I get on the phone And, you know, you always get something automated. We don't talk to people anymore, do we? We just talk to computer. And uh, so I get on there. There's this automated thing. Pick this number. Pick that number. Pick the other thing. Finally, I get to a live person. And the person says, "Um, I've got your account here. Uh, Am I speaking to Jennifer Bunch? And I said, no. And they said, well, we can't talk to anyone except Jennifer. Goodbye. Click. That was it. Well, a couple weeks go by. She had been really busy with work and some different things. And I knew we had to transfer these funds. And so um, I went ahead and I called a second time, waited on the line for 20 minutes. Lady comes on the line very pleasantly. Hi, this is Stephanie. Am I speaking to Jennifer Bunch? And I said, Yes. (laughs) Then she started asking me some questions. What is your social security number? What is your mother's maiden name? What high school did you attend? Bam, bam, bam. Knew them all. I mean, you've been married 20 years. You know everything, you know? And so the lady said, well, could you please wait? And she put me on hold. I'm listening to that elevator music, just about ready to throw something, you know? And I'm getting more ticked off. She comes back on again. Could you please tell me your favorite color? Could you tell me your favorite pet's name? Could you tell me an old address that you lived at? Bam, bam, bam. I know them all. She comes back again and she says, well, could you please hold a little bit longer? 
I'm at 30 minutes at this point, and I'm fuming. She gets back on. She says, could you please tell me your zodiac sign? What? I had no clue what her zodiac sign was. So I go back and I said this. I go, well, what does that have to do with anything? I don't even believe in uh, zodiac signs. Do you want me to pay the bill or don't you? I mean, you have all of these people that are not even paying. You have to call collection agencies. I'm trying to tell you I'm going to pay the bill in full and you won't take my money. That's correct. (laughs) I just don't believe that you're Jennifer Bunch and I can't transfer this fund. Now, on the account, I noticed that it also says that Christopher Bunch can speak to this account. Is Christopher Bunch there? And like Eeyore, I'm like, yes, he can. It's me. She said, no problem. I'm willing to help you. We were done in two minutes. Everything taken care of. Here's the point, folks. Immediately after that, I get a whisper from the Holy Spirit that says, you lied. You lied. And at first I tried to rationalize it and think, well, I was just trying to help my wife and it really wasn't that big a deal. And it just got more and more convicting. I lied. I didn't just lie to Stephanie. I lied to the God of the universe. And immediately, I asked God for forgiveness and said, Please, God, forgive me. I don't want to be a liar. Now, some of you might be sitting there right now and you're thinking, Bunch, lighten up. You were trying to help your wife. It's no big deal. Well, here's what I've got to tell you. When it comes to telling the truth, I've realized in my life, folks, I can't lighten up on my inner self. If I've learned anything over the years of ministry that I've been in, that if I tolerate deception in one area of my life, It can be like a flame that goes into every other area. If I ever fail to tell the truth, the whole truth, and nothing but the truth, to myself, my soul is in a dangerous position. I've learned that over the years, that if I allow myself and my inner world to tell the first lie, it's a lot easier to tell the second lie, and then it's a whole lot easier to tell the third lie. And pretty soon, I'm lying all over the place, and I'm in denial of all kinds of things. You see, what I've learned, folks, is that I've got to draw the line on the first lie. I've got to draw a very clear line on the first lie. If I ever cross it, I'm in, I'm in trouble. Because that's how deceitful... Deceit 
can be. Let's look at the side screen again and let's speak this from our heart. Speak the truth in your heart. Because the reality is, folks, when you speak the truth in your heart, then you speak the truth to other people. And when you speak the truth to other people, then ultimately you speak the truth to Almighty God. You know, I was reflecting back on that dark moment in my life this week. And I wondered how many times Stephanie, on the other end, is lied to. And I wondered to myself, how many times am I lied to in a day? Chuck found some interesting research this week that found that on average, either we lie or we lie to, or other people lie to us. So we either we lie or other people lie to us 10 on the low end, 10 times a day, or upward to 200 times a day. Whether you call them flubs, half-truths, wise lies, uh, white lies, exaggerations, lying is lying. Even if it's you're trying to help your wife to take care of whatever the situation is, folks, a lie is a lie is a lie. You know, I have a feeling that if Solomon were here today and we gave him the mic, he would stand up here and what he would say is let your words be few, but let all of your words be true. Let every single word that comes out of your mouth be true. Totally true. Even if you telling the boss may not get you the promotion, will you be willing to tell the truth? Even if the friend who keeps telling you, don't tell me about the fact that I'm having an affair with someone else, even if that's being told, you need to tell the truth. And let me just say that if you're a parent here today of a young child, I just want to strongly encourage you as much as I can that you stop the lies when they lie as soon as you can. All research shows us that little children who lie at young ages, they have a tendency to lie later on when things become tough and they don't know what to do. They just tell lies. And so when there's lies, it needs to be a time out. It needs to be, here is the chair, sit in it. It's consequence time. Make sure that it's not on your record as a parent that I allowed my child to go through life lying. I think what Solomon also would say is this. Protect yourself from liars. Some of you have people that you oversee. And if you oversee people and the person lies to you once... Give them grace. If they lie a second time, you know what? Give some consequences. If they lie a third time, fire them. Because this is the thing. If they're lying to the boss about little things, how many other lies do you think they have? It doesn't help. Don't date liars. And for God's sake, regardless of 
How lonely you think you might be. Don't marry someone who's a liar. Because it will come back. Don't do business with them. Don't golf with them. He always has a better score than me. I never know. Now we know. Don't fish with them because they'll always have a bigger fish story to tell. Folks, honesty and integrity go hand in hand. They come together. So make your words be true, even if the truth hurts. Now, men, I want to give you one out, and it's this. That if your wife or your spouse or your significant other comes up to you and they say, how does this dress or how do these new jeans look on me? Just pull this scripture out. Watch your tongue. Keep your mouth shut and you will stay out of trouble. Okay? That's the one way. So are we clear on this one? Are we clear? It's a big thing, folks. It really is. All right. So let your words be few and let your words be true. Next, to be wiser in our words, the third thing that Solomon would say, let our words be gentle. Let our words be gentle. Proverbs 15, verse 1, a gentle answer deflects anger. Harsh words make tempers flare. Proverbs 15, verse 4, gentle words are a tree of life. Proverbs 16, verse 21, pleasant words are persuasive. Proverbs 22, verse 11, those whose speech is gracious will have kings as friends. You know, honestly, this has been one of my biggest struggles. You see, I gave my life to Christ almost nine years ago in this gym, sitting right over there. And at that point, God started chiseling things out of my life, molding and shaping me, slowly convicting me of things that, that I was doing wrong. I was playing in this band at the time called Martial Law, and we was playing bars and clubs and even doing some shows, opening up for some national acts. And as God started changing my life, some of my actions began to change. You see, I was drinking very heavy. I used vulgar language often. I could tell dirty jokes that would make your toes curl. It was horrible. So as God started changing my life, these little actions started to change. I began using less profanity. I began drinking less. I started even doing away with songs in our set list that I felt were inappropriate. So I started to make these little baby steps. And as I continued to grow deeper in my relationship with Christ, I continued to make changes. Not because I didn't think that to be a Christian you had to do so and so or not do so and so. We're not saved by works. We're saved by grace. But our works 
are an expression of what we believe. And my beliefs were becoming expressed in my actions. The Holy Spirit was convicting me of certain lifestyle choices. I quit smoking. Not because I believe smoking will send you to hell. It'll make you smell like you've been there, but it won't send you to hell. So I quit. Quit going out and drinking. Chris actually convicted me of that one. Then eventually I made some musical decisions where I took my gifts and the talents God had given me and I decided to use them in a more positive way for His glory. You see, the majority of these choices I just said were fairly easy. But the one thing that I found harder than everything else was to abandon my foul mouth. You see, certain language was ingrained in me from an early age. And it was really hard for me to abandon that, to just let that go. And even now, if I have to point to one thing that I feel like right now that keeps me from being everything that God wants me to be, that God created me to be, it is, it's my use of words sometimes. It's that thorn in my side. Maybe it's a moment when I join in on a conversation that I should have just walked away from. Or you see, I have a tendency at times to say something to draw laughter even when I know that it's inappropriate. Worse than these are the moments when I get angry, when my buttons get pushed. Now, it takes a lot to get me angry, but when I get there, my choice of words definitely do not honor God. And I know it breaks the heart of God hearing me say some of them things. I know it does. You know, I'm held to a higher standard. I hold myself to a pretty high standard. These moments are rare, but when they happen, I collect myself. I ask for forgiveness. I make amends for how I've handled a situation. I apologize to someone. I want to let that person know that is not how I want to be represented as a Christian. It's not. Man, but once words are out, they're hard to take back. And they do damage. When tempers flare, man, you take that verbal hand grenade and you toss it, and it explodes. It happens all the time. You argue with your spouse. All of a sudden, voices are getting louder. And you know that thing that you can say that's going to push somebody's button. Maybe something harsh, something crude, devaluing. And you pull the pin, you lob that word, and it explodes. Man, we've all done it. Every one of us has done it. But we need to stop it. 
We need to stop. There is too much at stake. You know, Solomon says to be gentle with our words. You know, when your blood pressure is starting to rise and you're starting to get mad, take a positive path. Say, help me understand. Go at it in that direction. Help me understand. You know, what's going to be more effective? What the heck are you doing? Why would you do something like that? Or help me understand. Help me understand why you made that choice. Help me understand why you think that that's the best way to do this. My wife would say, Chuck, help me understand why your dirty clothes are always laying three feet away from the hamper. Help me understand why this three-foot mark seems to be such a barrier in your life. You know, this works for our kids. Help me understand why the cell phone bill is so high. Help me understand why my bumper is laying in the driveway. Help me understand this. I say to my son, Ethan, help me understand how you say that you brushed your teeth, but your toothbrush is completely dry. Help me. Help me understand. You see, you've got to remember, words have the power to start wars. But words have the power to diffuse wars. So let your words be few. Let your words be true. And let your words be gentle. Okay, last thing. Let your words be life-giving. Let your words be life-giving. Proverbs 10, 11 says this. The words of the godly are like a life-giving fountain. Don't you love that? The words of the godly are like a life-giving fountain. Proverbs uh, 10.20, the words of the godly are like sterling silver, meaning that they're valuable, they're precious. Proverbs 12.18, words of the wise bring healing. Proverbs 16.24, kind words are like honey, sweet to the soul and healthy for the body. Paul, the guy who wrote over half of the New Testament in Ephesians chapter 4, verse 29, he says some really powerful things. Let's read this out loud together. Let no unwholesome word proceed out of your mouth. Only words that build up people. Folks, words matter. They really do. And we have to be very clear on our words. And Chuck said that our words earlier actually do have consequences. Jesus one day... I. Uh, alluded to earlier, was talking about a tree. And uh, he said there's a, a tree that produces good fruit and there's a tree that produces bad fruit. And your words, folks, produce different types of fruit. And there's a consequence to your life that if you choose to use bad words, that God will hold you accountable. Jesus says that he will hold you accountable to those words. Folks, every careless word, every careless word you make will be judged. 
That means that if you cut somebody off at traffic and you don't wave with all five fingers, okay, or someone cuts you off at traffic and you cuss them out, God, here's your word. Every time you're impatient with your child, God hears. Every time that there are unwholesome conversations that you have around the water cooler with the guys or you're gossiping with the girls, God hears. Every time you gossip, every time you use a racially insensitive word, every time you speak only half of the truth, God hears and God knows your words. Every unkind thing you say, every hateful remark you make, every lie that you tell, God hears. And Jesus tells us that we will be held accountable for our words. Now, you might be sitting there and you're like, bunch, seems kind of harsh. It's not. You see, because Jesus, who was not just human, but he was fully God, 100% human, 100% God, that he understood something that you and I don't understand. And that is that the words that we use can impact our behavior. It can impact other areas of our life. If you say hateful words, it affects your behavior. Because soon you'll be saying those to your spouse or to your kids or your coworkers or your neighbors. And if you don't discipline and purify your speech, you will not be able to honor God in the way that He calls. Because that's when people know the true self. It's when you use the words that you use. We have to be careful about the words that we speak. We have to be careful about the words that we write. You have to be careful about the words that you post on Twitter, on Facebook, on Instagram. It's amazing to me in our social media area, uh, a world that we live in, how people will post anything. And Chuck and I have had this conversation so many times. We'll see what people post and we're thinking to ourselves, and they're following Christ and they're saying that? Think about what you post before you post it. Is what you're saying going to be negative or positive? Can it be interpreted the wrong way? Can it be insensitive to someone? Is it building someone up or is it tearing somebody down? So I thought the best exercise that we could have to wrap up is that we would all put some words in our vocabulary that we could start using today and throughout this week and we'll say it out loud together. The first phrase will come up. It's on the side screen. It's, I believe in you. Let's say that together. I believe in you. I didn't really believe that as much as I thought um, you would. Okay, let's say it again. I believe in you. Who in your life needs to hear those words? Is there someone struggling with confidence? Is there someone struggling with courage? That you could just look at them and say, you know what? Regardless of what everybody else says, I believe in you. Here's the next one. I trust you. I trust you. I remember when I used to pull out, before I'd pull out of the park or the uh, driveway, in my 1979 Pontiac Grand Prix, before I'd pull, pull out, my dad would be in the house and he would say, Chris, I trust you. 
I never saw his hands, though, because I figured he was like crossing his fingers, you know, like behind, you know. But uh, he said, no, no, I trust you. And you know what? That meant something to me because I didn't want to let my father down. And so words that I would say or things that I would do, I would think, he's trusting me. When you say that to someone, folks, it means a lot because they want to keep your trust. I trust you. So who in your life do you need to say that to? I trust you. Here's the next one. I need you. Let's say that. I need you. Some of you really have a hard time saying that, don't you? It's the most difficult thing for you to say because you're weak, because you think it makes you look weak and look dependent. But I'll tell you what, there have been times in which people have said that to me that has totally changed my perspective. About four years ago, I went through a really kind of hard time. Some staff left the church and I wasn't sure if I was going to be the one to carry this church kind of to the next level and uh, this guy right here he came up to me one day and he just said I need you I need you to be my pastor I would have never found God if it wasn't for this church and I need you to be the pastor of the church we need you And have you ever gotten one of those words before where someone says something to you and like it turns the whole trajectory around of what you're going to do? And all of a sudden I thought to myself, maybe I am needed. Like maybe there's something that I can offer to some people in our community that would draw them closer to Christ. I need you. Here's the next one. I'm proud of you. Let's say it out loud together. I'm proud of you. That's probably the number one phrase that is talked about in my family, in the Bunch family. When my wife Jennifer goes out into the community and she does a a free clinic for people, cervical exams, other things that she's trying to care for the needs of our community, I'll just text her and I'll go, you know what, honey, I am so proud of you. My daughter Jordan, just this week, there's a kid in her class that uh, is not always included on the playground. And Jordan kind of created this whole elaborate thing where she wasn't going to be the queen, she wasn't going to be the king, but she wanted everyone in her class to be a part of it, including the kid that was usually excluded. And she told me this story, and I was like, I got on my knees and I go, Jordan, that's exactly what Jesus would do. I am so proud of you. And I think of our youngest daughter, Shiloh. When she makes it through a ballet session without hitting another kid or yelling at the instructor, we look at her and we go, we are so proud of you, you know? And you know what's really cool? Sometimes I leave from this place and I don't think I've done very well. And I'm like, how could you people have 
stayed as long as you did. And my wife will just kindly say, Chris, doesn't matter what everyone else thinks. I'm proud of you. God is proud of you. And when I get in the car sometimes, these two little heads will pop up in the rearview mirror and I'll see them. And I'll go, Daddy, you're the best pastor. We are proud of you. Do those words get told in your family? Do you say that very much? I hope if, if you're not that you'll do it today, that before the sun sets, who in your life do you need to hear someone say, I'm proud of you? Here's the next one. I respect you. Maybe you have a tough conversation with someone and uh, you're not really sure how it's going, but you decide before you leave, you're just going to say, you know what? We didn't clear everything up, but I want you to know I respect you. Can you imagine what that would do to the person when they get in their car, they're taking off and they're like, you know, we didn't resolve everything, but they told me they respect me. And here's the last one. Let's say it out loud together. I love you. I love you. It is by far the most important phrase in any language throughout the world. I love you. And the fact is, is that Jesus wrote a lot of words about love. And God gave us an entire book of words That is not a book to beat you down, but it's a love letter. And when you open it up, and you can, when you open it up, it just screams out all the time. God's saying, I love you. 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 And this is the cool thing. That when you allow Christ to come into your life, It happens to me regularly. I've accepted Christ, His Holy Spirit's in my life. I'll walk through the day, and all of a sudden, I'll just get a little whisper. I love you. I'm proud of you. I'm for you. I'm with you. And when you say those words, folks, to friends, family, neighbors, it does something in the human heart. It melts it. It touches it at a very deep level. And why? Because words matter. Words really matter. And so, here's my challenge today. Let your words be few. Let all your words be true. Let your words be gentle. And let your words be life-giving. Yes? All right, let's stand. And uh, I'm going to invite Abby Guthrie, who's one of the most encouraging uh, people to both Chuck and I, outside of our wives, uh, to come up. Abby was a founding member of the JAR and uh, has encouraged so many people with her words. And she's going to lead us kind of in our benediction. So let's uh, welcome Abby. Well, as we continue to reflect on being wiser with our words, let's declare this benediction together as a church in one strong voice. So please join me. Here we stand, united by the God of yesterday, today, and tomorrow. 
we confess that we have depended on our own insights and hoped that would be enough. God, in this moment, help us put that way of thinking to rest. Guide our community as we practice what has been instilled in us today. I ask for your divine wisdom to teach us. In Jesus' name, amen. If you're new today, we have a gift for you in the corner over there at the Guest Connection, so please stop by there on your way out. And uh, just have a great week, and always remember that you are loved in this place.